Radio Drone. And welcome to episode two of Radio Drome. I am Josh, and my co-host is... Mr. Brad Jones. A.K.A. the Cinema Snob. Indeed. Let's get the housekeeping stuff out of the way right away, which will probably be a regular thing. Remember, mm. you can email us at 1201beyond at gmail.com. That's just 1201beyond at gmail.com. And I'm going to prostitute myself for a second. Brad said it's all oh, right. Oh, heavens! Oh, yes, and I'm very cheap. I need... Ca- <laughs> I need camera equipment. My uh-huh. my camera pretty much died. So any listeners out there, if you've got good prosumer-grade camera equipment that you're willing to let go at a relatively reasonable price, contact us, and I'll see if I can take that stuff off your hands. And while you got a big uh, VHS camera? Uh, Betacam SP. B- brilliant. But here's the problem. I don't have a Betacam SP player. I I used to work at a TV station, so I was able to transfer everything off there. Yeah. The problem with that is, uh, let's just say I got quit, so I don't work there anymore. So I don't have the ability to transfer the stuff off anymore. So, and maybe if someone's got a Betacam SP player, they can sell me that too. Yeah. Since my uh, mini DV cam went went out uh, not too long ago, I currently haven't had a way to uh, transfer transfer VHS onto my computer. (laughs) I got to I got to burn it to disk first. Oh, and sorry about some of the dropouts with Brad. We're using Skype, and you know it's not the most reliable thing in the world. So, sorry if Brad (laughs) drops out unexpectedly now and then. (laughs) <laughs> well, I just it just, I just have cracks it just, in my voice. Yeah, you you have long Shatner-esque pregnant pauses. <laughs> Very Shatner-esque, <laughs> or or Bruce Payne-esque. <laughs> oh yes, very Bruce Payne-esque. He always sounds <laughs> like he's about to pass out, no matter what he's saying. I'm just so exhausted. By all my evil. I think you should do a whole Cinema Snob episode in in the Bruce Payne style. As Bruce Payne? Yeah, you should that would do a be whole fun. Snob Try to episode. find some, uh, I could do like a full eclipse or something. <laughs> uh, does Passenger 57 fall out of your cutoff date? Yeah, a Passenger 57 would be, would, be pro- would be a little out of the norm for what that? I do on there, but I could. I could picture myself doing full eclipse, maybe. Is that the one uh, who's the corrupt cop? That's the that's the uh, wolf one, werewolf one with him and Mario Van Peebles. I haven't. Seen it was that a one. Uh, uh, made for HBO movie. Oh, I haven't seen that one. I haven't seen it since it first premiered. <laughs> but I remember he was. Yeah, of course he was the bad guy. <laughs> well, does he ever play the good guy? <laughs> In this one, he was kind of. I mean, he was certainly hamming it. From what I remember, he was certainly hamming it up. Of course, it's but Bruce Payne. But in a different, in a slightly different way than Bruce Payne usually does, because the way that Bruce Payne, you know, usually does is like, oh, I want you inside me, you know, stuff like that. And in this, he was hamming it up in more of a, kind of more of a Nick Cage in a way. Okay. Because, yeah, Nicolas Cage is kind of all over the map, too. <laughs> and I'm a big Nick Cage fan. Best thing he's done in a long time was Bad Lieutenant Portocol in New oh, Orleans. Oh, man, that was good. That was the best thing he's done in years. I mean, that was Raising Arizona era Nicolas yeah. Cage. And that's yeah. a compliment towards him. That's classic. That, that movie was classic Nick Cage. <laughs> <And> then, <laughs> Till uh, the break of dawn, baby. 
I also want to prostitute ourselves for your videos. If you if you people out there have VHS tapes, old standees from video stores, posters, etc., email us. If you're asking for reasonable prices, Brad and I will pick them up off you, and then we'll fight over who gets to keep them. Indeed. <laughs> so, Videotaped fight to the death. Yeah, I have a feeling you're probably going to win since I'm unemployed and you have money. <laughs> so I have a feeling you will win that battle, but... <laughs> no, no. Uh, after, after I got quit, I haven't found anything yet. And that's the way I'm, I'm putting it. I got quit. They did yeah. not fire me. I got quit. I got quit. I like that. Exactly. <laughs> um, have you picked up any VHSs lately? No, well, not really. Uh, I uh, I haven't really been out. I really haven't been out and about to the uh, to the shops recently to uh, to get some. The last thing that I the last thing that I had ordered was uh, I was I wanted to do a, a holiday themed episode of the Big Box, and the only Christmas one that I owned was Silent Night Deadly Night in a big box, and I did that last year. So I went to eBay and I just typed in okay, uh, big box Christmas just to see what popped up. Sure enough, there was a big box of a Christmas story. Yep, I saw that one. And I'm like, oh well, well that works. So I I I ordered I ordered that, and uh, my my buddy gave <laughs> she uh, gave me a few uh, Betty Boop tapes. <laughs> Well, I've never never really been a Betty Boop fan. Not that I and not that and not that I'm a huge Betty Boop fan either, but I used to collect I used to collect a lot of the uh the older cartoons that have since become banned from being shown for some reason oh, or another. The, the, you know, the incredibly racist Warner Brothers ones and stuff either, like that. Yeah, either due to like, you know, blatant racism or, you know, World War II themes where you got Bugs Bunny fighting against Herman Gehrig and and stuff like that. And a few of them a few of them had were were Betty Boops. And I, I think Sarah gave she gave me these just just like, because these tapes are these these particular tapes were from the eighties when they were still kind of putting out some some rather politically incorrect ones on tape and uh, well really even now uh, you still can't like if you get those like hundred cartoon packs for five bucks yeah. like a Walgreens all, or something you, you can find ones. some pretty rough stuff in there so I I, I think she kind of gave them to me because of that just in case there's anything super special in them. <laughs> Well, my wife, back uh, before DVD existed, she bought me a tape of uh, old Bugs Bunny and Daffy Duck cartoons that were called, like, Politically Incorrect. It was even... The tape was hosted by Leonard Maltin, and I'd seen these cartoons hundreds of times growing up, Mm -hmm. and this was the first time I'd ever seen some of these scenes. Yeah. Because they'd been censored my entire childhood. And there was some blatant, I mean, racist stuff in there. Like the one where... uh, um... It was uh, where Yosemite Sam still thought that the Civil War was going on. Yeah, that one had a lot of cuts made to it. A lot of cuts. Like, it was like what you just said. It was like years later until I saw that uncut. Because I'd I'd seen that one before, of course. And then seeing, you know, Bugs Bunny and try to cross the Mason Mason Dixie line in blackface with a banjo. Yeah, and and some of the World War II ones, a lot of really bad... Japanese jokes, oh, the, oh, the bad yeah. overbites and everything. The one where uh, the Donald Duck one, where Donald Duck was a Nazi. 
I remember that. <laughs> well, do you remember? I mean, that kind of stuff even crept up in some of the 80s, the newer cartoons of the 80s. There was a Spider-Man and His Amazing Friends episode called Quest of the Red Skull. Uh-huh. Now, obviously, the character of the Red Skull is a Nazi. Yeah. So the episode is full of swastikas, you know, on their uniforms and on the weapons that they're trying to steal. They're trying to steal, like, a an old cache of hidden Nazi super weapons in, in mm-hmm. uh, Africa. And at one point, there's a giant swastika stone that, when the sun hits it, will show them a huge swastika on the side of a mountain to show them where the stuff is hidden. That episode was played once and then never put back into syndication because of yeah. all the swastikas that were in it. There was a uh, a DVD I had that was a, a Superman cartoon where he the was... The uh, ones? Beg pardon? The old Fleischer cartoons? Yeah, yeah, it was it was one where he was uh going up against the uh the Japanese. Like the the Japanese had kidnapped Lois Lane. I I love those old Fleischer cartoons. They are so gorgeously animated. Yeah. Oh, yeah, even this. This one was dark as hell. Well, I mean, <laughs> if you if you take out the fact of like he's battling robots and creatures from the center of the earth and that the cartoons were really realistic. Mhm. I mean, they showed people getting killed and set on fire and it's not the kind of cartoon you would normally have thought of. I remember when I was a kid, too, speaking of, of violence, like you you just said, like I, I grew up on the Warner Brothers cartoons. Like oh, of yeah. all the cartoons out there, that those were my favorites. Those were the ones that I grew up on were the Looney Tunes. Saturday morning, would there would always be the Bugs Bunny and Tweety show. Oh, yeah. Um, and they would, even back then in, in the 80s, I mean, they would they would cut out stuff on there that that honestly, one, didn't really need to be cut out, but they would cut out certain parts due to quote-unquote violent content or whatever, and sometimes it would, it would render, they would, they would go so far that it would render, it would render the cartoon almost unwatchable, because it was just so, it'd be like watching the R-rated version of Caligula. Yeah. And uh, uh, and so usually I would flip over to this was when Nickelodeon and then again on Nick at Night would also show the Looney Tunes cartoons, but they would show them uncut. They would really show them uncut. Like back then on uh, when they used to do Looney Tunes on Nick at Night, you would see the the Bosco cartoons. Oh, you would see yeah. the the por- the Porky the Jeepers Creepers Porky Pig one, where at the end the ghost is in blackface. <laughs> well, look at the the you're talking violence in cartoons. Look at Tom and Jerry. Yeah, Itchy and Scratchy on The Simpsons is really not that much of an exaggeration. No, over not at all. what real Tom and Jerry cartoons were like. And I was never really that big of a Tom and Jerry fan either. Well, th- they were they were censored heavily because, uh, again, for the race stuff. If you remember, the old woman that owned Tom. Yeah. Was, and I, I mean, I'm not trying to be racist, but there's no other way I can put it. She was like a mammy. Yeah, yeah. You know, and she talked like that, and it was like pure Song of the South stuff. Yeah. And so when those were shown in the later 80s, all her scenes were cut. And sometimes mm-hmm. she was interacting with Tom to the point where the episodes made no sense. It was just yeah. really hard to watch some of those Tom and Jerry's like that. I knew yeah, it'd I... go off. We didn't even, this wasn't even one of the scheduled topics. <laughs> I, I I knew this would happen. 
<laughs> Works for me. Cartoons, man. Hey, I love my cartoons too. I mean, you should see my between my wife and I, and we have totally different types of cartoons. You know, she was yeah. into the girly cartoons like Rainbow Bright and stuff, whereas yeah. I was into the Centurions and Inhumanoids. Mm-hmm. We have a library. You name a cartoon from the seventies or eighties, I probably have them. Oh, that's fantastic. I mean, you name it, I've probably got them most likely from the original airing of them. Oh, that's beautiful. <laughs> I, I, I yeah, have yeah. whole mornings of Saturday mornings and, like, weekday afternoons just on tape where my dad would throw in a tape and just tape the entire afternoon. Just pop in a tape of an old episode of C-Lab 2020. Before 2021. That year makes a difference. I got into a fight with Brandon from It Came From Me on Midnight the other day, and I wanted to get your take on this. Mm-hmm. If, a char- if an actor plays the same character in two separate films, does that make the later film a sequel to the earlier film? And the example would be Michael Keaton's character of Ray Nicolette from Jackie Brown also being in Out of Sight and the events of Jackie Brown being mentioned in the past tense in Out of Sight. To me, that makes uh, Out of Sight a sequel to Jackie Brown. I don't think it makes it a... I think that there's a difference between a sequel and something that just happens to take place in the same universe something that that just happens to take place in the same where maybe a couple of characters occupy occupy the same world i think there's a slight difference in that and i would i would say that i would say that about out of sight i don't, I don't think i really consider that to be a sequel i mean yeah ray nicolette's in it but he's only in it for like five minutes um, but what, then he, what also some, appeared, he also appeared in the TV series Karen Sisko, which was a spinoff of Out of Sight, although he was played by Peter Horton in the TV series. And that I consider to be something like a sequel, because, I mean, that's something with, like, the main character from, I mean, a direct follow-up to the one of the main characters from from Out of Sight. Right. Um, but But as for something that, like, you had also mentioned uh, that the president and the rock and Armageddon. Right. Were, were was the same character and the same actor as well, and even then, I I just think it's just two movies that just happen to take place in the same universe. Well, so um, then, if they take place in the same universe, say The Rock and Armageddon, then when the giant pieces are hitting New York, could we think that maybe Nicolas Cage from The Rock got killed in Armageddon? I was I was thinking about that too when I found. I mean, I only saw Armageddon once. I was when it was when I saw it in the theater, and I I hated it. I haven't seen it since, but uh, I, I didn't Armageddon. even notice until like. I just like read it somewhere that the president was the same character and yeah that was that was one of the first things that I thought of which was like oh I wonder if Stanley Goodspeed uh got bumped off that's, that's kind of a bummer I like Stanley Goodspeed <laughs> I, I never paid enough attention in the Transformers movies is it the is the president the same actor is it the, supposed to be the same president cuz then technically the Transformers movies would come after Armageddon as well yeah um I I don't know. I don't know if it's the same president or I don't know if it's the same president or not. Didn't didn't Armageddon start out it's nice that if if Transformers is in the same world Universe. as uh as Armageddon, I guess it's not it was nice of them to put New York back together again. After, well, it takes place uh, a decade uh, later, so <laughs> it's only so. for it to get destroyed again in Transformers. Exactly. <laughs> I don't know. I I don't know if the president was the same character in that in that or not. It was something I just didn't didn't really notice. Maybe, but I don't know. I mean, like, because at the same time, Freddy pops up at the end of Jason Goes to Hell, 
But I don't consider that to be a sequel to Nightmare on Elm Street. Well, what about the TV? What about Freddy's Nightmares, the TV series? Considering it contradicts most of the continuity of the movies, would Freddy's Nightmares actually be a sequel to what were they at part four at that point? I think only when Freddy's Night. What year was Freddy's Nightmares? Eighty-eight. It was eighty-eight. Yeah. 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 I think part four. Yeah, three was eighty-seven. So uh, four was probably just coming out. Because personally, I like Freddy's Nightmares. I know everybody else in the world hates it. I liked it. I liked it. I I I I haven't seen it since like 1990, but I I remember liking. I remember liking. As as terms of, in terms of of horror flicks, my taste is really the same now as it was back then. So uh, when I saw it 20 years ago, I liked it. Um, You got to remember, there's one huge problem Freddy's Nightmares has. It was shot on videotape, so literally the episodes look like soap opera episodes. Yeah. So they yeah. look horrible. It doesn't matter if the story's okay or even if the acting's okay. They look like crap. That's the only way I can put it. Mm-hmm. Whereas at least Friday the 13th, the series was, I'm not sure if it was shot on 35, but it it looks like it was at least shot on video and tried to give film look maybe. Yeah, the the video quality for uh for Friday the th- for the Friday the Thirteenth series to me it, it looked it looked not unlike any other syndicated hour long of the time you know uh, kind of like War of the Worlds because I, I <laughs> did you ever watch both seasons of War of the Worlds? No, I, I little bits of it here and there. Season one, good. Season two, freaking great. If yeah. you ignore the fact that it does not link up with season one at all. Because mm-hmm. all of a sudden, between seasons, they jump from you know then contemporary 1989 to an unnamed time called Almost Tomorrow, where America is broke, all cops are corrupt, and it's basically become Blade Runner in the course of a year. <laughs> so the two seasons don't link up together at all. But season oh, two, I, I loved. I loved <laughs> season two. No, that that one I I had only really kind of seen little little bits of little bits of it here and there. Kind of kind of the same with the the Friday the Thirteenth series. Like oh, I I, 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 I saw week. like a handful of it. I watch those every week. I, I've got the DVDs of hell. I've got most of them on tape from when they first aired. Well, I never knew when it was on ar- around here. Like whenever whenever I saw it, whenever I saw it around here, it was. Uh, I, I would come to the Sci-Fi Channel. I saw them in the original airing, and they were always on Friday nights on our local Fox station right yeah, after the, the news. The original airings, I, I never... If I came across it, I, I didn't really know what it was. Yeah, when I saw it, it, it was like a couple of years after it had, had its had its run, and the Sci-Fi Channel would show it periodically, and I never knew when it was on, so I would kind of catch bits of it here and there... Like you know, I'd just be flipping channels, and just as soon as I would see John D. LeMay on there, I knew what it was. Yeah, it depends on the. Se- well, if you saw John D. LeMay, it's only seasons one or two. Yeah, yeah, and it, it, his his episodes were really the only pieces of it that I saw. Well, I'd I'd recommend the first and third seasons the the most. I like him. <laughs> well, he wasn't in season three, but it seemed like with season three, they realized that they were dying by sticking to the formula. 
So they started to break formula yeah. in more episodes, and they started to take more chances in season three with stranger stories. Oh. I really, I, I just think it's funny that he was in that too, and then also when Jason goes to hell. <laughs> yeah, he didn't really have a whole lot to do in Jason goes to hell, though. I actually really liked him in Jason goes to hell. I liked in I, Jason goes Jason goes to hell. I like a little bit better than a lot of other people do. Um, I like the and, idea of it. I like parts of it. I like where they were going. But I uh-huh. think, and part of this is due to the massive recuts. It, none, yeah. none of it works, in my opinion. I think uh, he, I really, I, he really sells it for me. I really like him. I like the fact that you know, in 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 about all the other ones, and it, and you know, it was the slasher film sort of cliche and whatever it works that like the main character is 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 this young girl, and in this, and in Jason Goes to Hell, you had John D. LeMay who reacted to things and acted and even looked how someone how me or someone like me a normal person uh, yeah would react in those situations i really liked that and i thought he was i thought he was funny in it i get in the car i've got a gun i got a gun um and i liked stephen williams i was gonna i was just about to say stephen williams as the jason hunter he stole every scene he was in yeah, <laughs> Jason Voorhees is like a little girl sticking a hot dog through a donut. You're this. You're relatively the same age as me. Erin Gray was still looking good. Yeah, oh, she definitely. was still looking good as Jason's sister. Sorry yeah. about plot spoiler. It's only a you know fifteen to twenty year old movie, <laughs> but she's Jason's sister or half sister, something like that. <laughs> she was she was looking good in that. It's the waitress. <laughs> yep, the waitress um, outfit. Would you consider that a, like a TV sequel if the same character moves on to another show after the main show is done? Like, like say, the John Munch character from Homicide moving to Law & Order Special Victims Unit? Would that make Special Victims Unit technically a sequel to Homicide? Well, not necessarily. Uh, Special Victims Unit a sequel to... Um, well, I maybe not necessarily, because uh, Special Victims Unit started, like, was... well. Maybe you can answer. Was he always on there? Was he always on Special Victims Unit? Yeah, but yes, he started in the pilot. Oh, he did? Okay, okay, And they even even mention in the first episode the events of the finale of Homicide. So it specifically takes place after he left Baltimore in the end of Homicide Life on the Street. I guess that could be considered a spinoff of both series, of both Law and Order and Homicide. Because certainly in TV series, speak the word spin-off is thrown around a little more than sequel, but it's the same thing. I consider them different. Like, if you take one character who then gets their own show that's running concurrently with the original show, that to me is a spin-off. If you got uh, something, yeah, that's true. If you've got something like Joey, where he didn't get his own show until after Friends was off the air, that to me is a sequel. That's true. I agree with that. I agree with that. It um, might only be technical, but that's the way I look at the difference between a sequel and a spin-off. Yeah, yeah, I, I I agree with that. Like uh, Boston the Roper, legal and the, the, the Ropers with the Ropers with uh, Three's Company spinoff, and then Three's a Crowd would be yeah a sequel. Or, or Boston Legal is a sequel to the Practice. Yeah, and, and so I thought Boston Legal was a much better show. Okay, the early Practice episodes are great, and then that final season with Spader was just amazing. Yes, I'm a huge, huge, huge James Spader fan. So I actually really started. 
catch the practice here and there, you know, uh, if there was nothing, really nothing else on. But uh, I did really kind of start watching it in the last season because James Spader, Alan Shore. Well, and then you got then Shatner showed up later and Crane, yeah. Oh, I can't think of her name. Uh, Virginia Madsen. Virginia Madsen. No, no, um, Virginia um, Madsen. You know who I'm thinking of? The blonde chick that's like like the sluttier Virginia Madsen. The and and was also on Boston Legal. No, she didn't make it to Boston Legal. She was only in the practice episodes with uh, Crane, Poole, and Schmidt. Oh crap! Oh 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 oh! She's Rebecca one, De Mornay. You drew Rebecca De Mornay. That's it. I just her name was not popping into my head. That's right. Yes. Yeah. Oh yeah. Yeah. She was great on there too. And then Boston Boston Legal even got better too in the last couple seasons when they brought John Larroquette on. See, I I to me Boston brought, Legal never worked with John Larroquette or with. Uh, Shirley Schmidt. I thought I thought it really worked with John Larroquette because I was I grew up watching Night Court. Oh, so and when did John, I. And when John Larroquette popped up on there, I thought it was really cool because it seemed like it seemed like a much older, wiser Dan Fielding. <laughs> Don't you mean Reinhold? Reinhold was the judge. No. Or um, I'm sorry. You're thinking of Judge. No, Dan's real name in the show was Reinhold, but he hated that, so he changed it to Dan. Oh, I'm sorry. Uh, that, that's yeah, yeah, yeah. I Don't get into a fight with me on Night Court continuity. I'm a huge Night Court fan. <laughs> I forgot that his name was. When you said Reinhold, I immediately went to Judge. I was like, say, oh no, what? not Judge. <laughs> what are you thinking? <laughs> well, to be fair, to be fair, a couple of days ago, I did watch two Judge Reinhold movies back-to-back, so my On mind was, was already on Judge, Judge Reinhold. I watched, a, I had a double feature of Ruthless People and Stripes. Okay, you at least picked a couple of good ones, at least. Mm-hmm. It wasn't oh, yeah. The, it wasn't I didn't the later pick, stuff. Like, uh, I didn't pick, like, Zandali and Head Office. <laughs> like Father Like Son? With him and oh, that like was, Kirk uh, Cameron? You're thinking of uh, Vice Versa. Vice Versa, okay. Whatever, they're all like, the same ripoff. Like Father Like Son was, uh, that was the Kirk Cameron one. I can't remember who his dad was in that. Dudley Moore. Dudley Moore. Oh God, I hate him. <laughs> vice, vice versa. I've actually got on VHS. Oh, why? Vice, vice versa, vice versa. I actually, I actually like. What I find funny though, they're about... all just Freaky Friday knockoffs. <laughs> I actually like it better than Freaky Friday. Vice versa, I, vice versa to me is like really funny in the sense that, well, one, I think Judge Reinhold does a really good job, and it also. I think it's funny that when switching me, Judge Reinhold acts more like a kid than Fred Savage ever did in his entire career. Probably. <laughs> Man, even before the switch in that movie, Fred Savage was acting more like an adult than Judge Reinhold. Honestly, I've never been a Fred Savage fan personally, but I don't um, think he's that good of an actor. Oh, I used to watch his like The Wizard. I, I like The Wizard. Uh, uh, you just like the Power Glove because it's so bad. It is. I do have my power glove. I do, I do have the power glove. I never had a power glove. Yeah, and you've got a rolling rocker, too. I do. I'm one of the, the few that's got a rolling rocker that actually works. Have you tried it? Yeah, yeah. I uh, was in a. Uh, I was up in Chicago. I was up in Chicago about a year ago visiting my buddy. We went to a video game store there where they had a, they had a bunch of old stuff. I mean, it, it was great. And there, like, hidden in the corner... 
<laughs> was a rolling rocker. And I'm like, holy crap, that's a freaking rolling rocker. Five so bucks. I go there, I look, I'm like, oh, how much is this? I, I think I got to buy this. I'm like, 15 bucks? I'm sold. <laughs> so, so I bought this rolling rocker. We're standing outside. I'm, hol- I'm holding this thing. And it's not in the box or anything. It's just the rolling rocker and the cord. So I'm standing there, downtown Chicago, hauling around this rolling rocker under my arm. And I'm saying to my buddies, I'm like, guys, you, you know this probably isn't going to work. So we took it home, and it it worked. As I mean, well as it, it you know, could have, probably. Yeah, yeah, yeah. It, it's one of those things like, uh, yeah, it works the best that it could possibly work, like the power glove. When you get a power glove that works, it, it works to the... You can't, really pl- you can't really be any good at anything with it, but, you know, you can get some that works to the best that it ever could have worked right. and with the rolling rocker with the one that i have is same thing the hardest part of the rolling rocker is actually trying to get on the thing and balance yourself on it see i'm a fat guy so i already exceed the weight limit on that well, thing so well with the rolling rocker it's one of those things like like the power glove where you could get a couple of games that suits it well you know, Almost, no. like with the power glove, with super glove ball, you know, um, and with the rolling rocker, given that it's like you're balancing yourself on this thing and it's supposed to be a substitute for a D-pad, you can't find a center on it. You're always moving in one direction or the other. The best games that could that you could feasibly get pretty good at with the rolling rocker are games where your character is constantly moving, like Paperboy. Okay, um, yeah, I can see that. Yeah, like, like something like Paperboy, where really you just kind of have to focus on just moving left or right on it. And with that, I you can feasibly play, if you practice enough, play Paperboy just fine on a rolling rocker, if um, you find one that works. <laughs> I, I wanted to talk about something else. This is going to be a new semi-regular segment on the show. This is something Brad and I have discussed we kind of want to do as well as any, any of us can remember. We want to tackle every film in a given franchise. Yes. Even films that are not really part of the same franchise, like the Extro movies, the Piranha movies, yeah, the, um, the Witchcrafts, where they're just all singular movies that were made and then they had a, t- a number slapped on them to make them a sequel. Yeah. But I just caught the other night a couple of Dirty Harry movies, and I've, I've seen all five. Mm-hmm. So I wanted to talk to you, Brad, about the Dirty Harry flicks. But, oh hell yes! First of all, what would you your favorite Dirty Harry flick be? And I hate calling them the Dirty Harry movie since only one is called Dirty Harry, but that's the way most people are going to recognize them. The two that I watched the most when I was a kid, and uh, I would say that my I would say that the best is certainly the first one, but I could. I love the first two. I'm a huge Magnum Force fan. Magnum Force, I watched a lot when I was a kid. I probably watched Magnum Force... I probably watched Magnum Force as a kid maybe a little more than I watched the first one, but that could also be because I I think as a kid I, I had... I had the first one on tape longer than I than I did the first one, even though I I watched both of them several times. I love I absolutely love Magnaforce. I love uh, Hal Halbrook, uh, his character. I love the the whole vigilante cop storyline. Um, I and I just really genuinely like that movie a lot. The only problem I have with that one, and I thought John Milius' script was good, but yeah. the problem I have with Magnaforce is it's over long. The movie is does not need to be two hours and twenty minutes long for a seventies film. Was it that long? A, yeah, it's got a lot of padding. It's over two hours, 
And I never I think really a, know. A lot of it is padding that doesn't need to be there. I never really knew it being that long. Um, it never really felt that long to me, though I do agree. I do agree on the padding part of it because there is certainly like the whole thing with him and his uh, his neighbor that he sleeps with, and I certainly got why that was there, why they wanted to put that in there. They wanted to humanize him, and you know, to to give him something. They wanted to, him to to bring him back to differentiate him between him and the vigilantes. So I yeah, so I certainly got why that was there. It didn't it didn't really mesh very well. And this and this is like I, I was saying too, like uh, I, yeah, I, I do feel the first one is a better movie than the second one. But I really the second one's just got a sentimental place in my heart. But I but yeah, I I I do, I do certainly uh, agree that like it does it doesn't necessarily mesh well with you know the pimp daddy slapping around his hooker and then he gets shot in the yeah but, so and the the problem the big problem I have is there's no explanation given to the end of the first film when Harry throws his badge away. Oh yeah, and the and, second and, and one, he's quits. just back to being a cop again. Yeah, Is it, could you th- throw in one line of dialogue that explained how he's an inspector again? <laughs> you know, just something to link the two films. But I yeah. gotta go, and you're probably gonna shoot me in the face for this. My favorite is the Deadpool. I really like the Deadpool because to uh, me, the Deadpool is pure '80s. It is. It's got that... it's slashers. It's got the 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 mob losing their power. It's got um not really the internet, but like uh, an internet style to like the way the killer is doing things. Mm-hmm. It's it's got Guns and Roses both in the movie and on the soundtrack. It's yeah. got one liners. It's an eighties movie. I really like. I really. I agree with you. I really like the Deadpool. I think the Deadpool is very underrated in that series, and angry. it has one of the best car chases of the 1980s as well. Well, did you hear what John Milius said about the Deadpool? Considering he wrote part no, two, huh? he says the Deadpool is not a real Dirty Harry movie. It's so bad and goes so over the top that it does not fit with the other four. You see, I don't agree. I don't agree with that. When people say that about about just because they didn't like it, they don't consider it to be part of the canon or whatever. No, it is. It, if it's intended to be part of the canon, it's released like that. That's the intent of the movie. No matter how you feel about it, that's what it is. Like when Roger Moore came out and said he doesn't consider a view to a kill to be a James Bond movie. Yeah, you just want to it slap is. Him. To me, the weakest Dirty Harry film is Sudden Impact. I just I, could I not really like Sudden it. Impact. I couldn't get into the story. For one thing, I've never been a fan of Sandra Locke. I mean, I know that's Clint Eastwood's wife. That's why he always casts her in his yeah. films. But I've never been a fan of her. So that that threw me off right away. And then, as weird as this is going to sound, I think the story was too focused. All the other Dirty Harry movies had multiple subplots, mean- and Sudden Impact basically had that one plot, and that's the entire film. Well, it had a couple, didn't it? Wasn't he also getting like harassed by uh, some mafia guys in it as well? Like he caused the guy to have a heart attack at dinner. Right. Well, and he and he had the dog, but I mean, it didn't have the Behead. same kind of. <laughs> it didn't. It didn't have the same kind of subplots that the other four did. I think The Enforcer is a criminally underrated film. See, The Enforcer is the one that I would consider to be my least favorite. See, I, I liked that one. I thought T- Tyne Daly did a fine job as the mm-hmm. 70s up-and-coming female police detective. Yeah. And I, I liked The Enforcer, but to me, Sudden Impact is... Ugh, I just ugh. Sudden Impact I really, really, really like. And I, I actually do agree with you on Sandra. I'm not a huge Sandra Locke fan either. 
but I really liked her in that movie. I've seen her in a couple of things that I genuinely liked her in. I really liked her in that. I thought she really sold that part pretty well. And I also really liked her in a movie where she was a psychopath in a movie called The Death Game. Not that great of a movie, but she was really good in it, and okay. she's really kind of creepy in it. And But with Sudden Impact, the reason why I really like Sudden Impact is I, I'm a really big fan of female revenge movies like Ms. 45, Thriller, I Spit on Your Grave. I like that Sudden Impact is really like a Dirty Harry movie crossed with... Uh, female revenge female film. exploitation a female exploitation revenge flick i really liked that i i uh so so it, my love for sudden impact certainly comes from i like that kind of movie it's certainly that it's certainly my taste in both in both kinds the cop film the dirty a dirty harry cop film and also crossed with that i thought it did it really well and i thought the movie I thought the movie, as dark as it was, it's a really dark movie. Um, it is It is really dark, but then it also veered into what people claimed that the Deadpool reveled in so ridiculously unrealistic. I mean, these guys are just hunting what they know is a San Francisco police inspector. Yeah. And the and they even kill the uh, that other cop just yeah. to stop him from investigating that rape. And they go so far that you go, really, all you guys are doing is bringing the entire San Francisco PD down on your heads. And it just... That doesn't, that never, that, that doesn't bother me in those kind of movies. Because, I mean, it's not really made with the intent to be incredibly realistic. Whereas <laughs> the first film kind of was. The first, yes, I agree with that. I agree with that. The first film, the first film definitely was. But once it got, once it got to around Sudden Impact and the Deadpool... You know, not that it ever got, not that I particularly thought that the series ever got cartoonish or like really campy to like Moonraker status or stuff like that. Yeah, but Harry's it, never did, been in it space. didn't bother me. Harry's never been in space, so that's something. Did you hear that they were, tr- uh, this was a couple of years ago? That they were trying to make a sixth one. I saw because I got the I got the DVD set of them, and uh, uh, on one of them they're interviewing him, and he's talking about that. Like they they still ask him, like, "Hey man, when are you gonna when are you gonna come back and uh, give us another Harry movie?" And his reactions always, "Whoa, hey, hang on, hey, what am I gonna be doing? I was retired fly fishing for ninety minutes." The the plot that they had, they had I don't know if it was an official script or like a spec or something, but the script that they had was Harry was retired and his grandson, so I guess he got married again at some point. His grandson yeah. was a police officer who was killed by a serial killer, so he comes out of retirement to avenge his grandson. And, and I, I think thought, that that's if, not that I, bad. No, I don't think it's that bad at all. I think that that's the right. If, if you're going to do another Dirty Harry movie, I think that's the right way to go. Like, uh, like an like that that Michael Caine movie that was just out, uh, Harry Brown. Okay, I um, demonstrate. Uh, like, like that. It's 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 basically. Uh, you haven't seen it? No. It's basically like a Death Wish type movie, but he's a much older character. Of course, he's retired and whatnot. I think I yeah. I think that if you're gonna do a six Dirty Harry movie, then that's really honestly about the most realistic way to go with it. I don't know about it being like his grandson or something, because in all movies, did it even mention him having a kid or anything? Never a kid, but I guess if you consider 1985 to let's say it came out in 2010. Yeah, I, I guess that's enough that I mean maybe the grandson couldn't be a cop or maybe he was an illegitimate. He had an illegitimate sure. grandson. Uh huh. You know, from he slept around quite a bit after his wife died. Yeah. So he could have had an illegitimate kid at some point around. Yeah. There. 
It's entirely feasible, yeah. I've heard, and I don't know how they could plausibly do this, that Dirty Harry is up on the remake block. I don't know who they could possibly get to play Harry Callahan that that the audience would not totally rebel against. Yeah, I, I think that that's one that... You can't you 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 can't you can't remake that. Well, you heard about what Stallone's doing, right? Death Wish. Death Wish, and he's going to star in it. You so, see, my only problem with that, and I don't necessarily have a problem with them doing another Death Wish. I mean, they did make that movie Death Sentence, where the book is the sequel to Death Wish. And Death Sentence, I I th- actually thought was really good. I thought that was a really good vigilante movie or revenge movie. My problem with Stallone, and I like Sylvester Stallone. I I I really genuinely like Sylvester Stallone. Sylvester Stallone's not the kind of actor who you want playing Paul Kersey. No, because he looks like the kind of guy who would go out and kill these people. The whole yeah. point of Paul Kersey is, I mean, and in a way, Charles Bronson was a little wrong for that, too. The character is supposed to be just like an every man who finally gets pushed too far. Well, and, and Charles Bronson was certainly like a big, tough action hero, but Charles Bronson, as Paul like, Kersey, when you put the overcoat on him, when you, he looks, he he does look like an everyday guy, more so than Sylvester Stallone. Could you have seen uh, you know, him Sylvester Stallone, you'd, you'd put him in an overcoat and a suit like that. He still looks like he can bench 400 pounds. What about Escape from New York? Oh, they, I'm against... No way. Uh, no, the, stu- uh, the no. studio originally wanted Bronson to play Snake Plissken. Oh, oh, I thought you were talking about the remake. Yeah, um, I, I'm against that. I want to see Escape from Earth. Me Carpenter, too. Me Carpenter too. wrote a script of Escape from Earth. Supposedly everybody liked it, but because Escape from L.A. tanked, Nobody's willing to put any money behind Escape from Earth. Oh, and I would love to see that too. Oh well, man! If if you're a big Snake Plissken fan, check out the comic books. I will. Uh, they got the Adventures of Snake Plissken. The only thing, and here's the weird thing: they keep mentioning the events of Escape from LA, but mm-hmm. the entire planet has power. Yeah. So oh, it's, it's, oh so, you were telling me about. Yeah. This. So the yeah. ending is never. They never really explain how the ending of the movie was circumvented, yet they yeah. kept the movie in continuity at the same time. I never well, understood that. Race. Yeah, yeah. That's, yeah, <laughs> well, I guess they just got things going again. <laughs> it wasn't as bad as they thought. <laughs> or, or, or or maybe the sort, sort of Damocles just wasn't as powerful. Maybe it was a temporary. It's just temporary. Stacy Keach fixed it. <laughs> Oh, let me let me so awesome. let me run this by you. let me run this by you real quick before I forget uh, to to touch on Paul Kersey again. This is this I think would be great casting for that character if they are going to remake Death Wish. What do you think about Michael Keaton? I could see Michael Keaton doing that nowadays. Yeah, I, I think that would be now. perfect casting for that. I, um, somebody that would have been good. I mean, obviously they're he's dead now, but I could have seen if they say they remade it in 1990. I could have seen like George C. Scott. Yeah, as weird as that might sound, I, no, I could, not I at all. Especially George after C. seeing Scott. him in like hardcore, Exorcist Three, Exorcist Three, yeah, Exorcist Three, Changeling, hardcore. You know, he could have pulled that off, definitely. Because I think Exorcist Three is a cr- another criminally underrated film. Mm-hmm. I love that movie. It's the best. You know, of and all it's of because of something like Exorcist Three that I th- that I wish they would still. I wish that they would still do another Snake Plissken movie because, yeah, the second one didn't do that well, but Exorcist 2 didn't do well. <laughs> and they still, I mean, gr- granted, it was several years later that they did the third one, but eventually they did do a third one, and the third one got, I agree, it's criminally underrated, but it's it's 
definitely it definitely isn't as notorious or trash of as trashed of a movie as the second one is and it's got what i consider probably one of the greatest jump scares in movie history that hallway scene with the nurse yeah i mean i'm serious i don't care how hard of a hard of a horror fan you are that scene will make you jump if you have not seen it before. If you do not know yep. what's going to happen when, that scene will make you jump. Because Blatty, it just directs that scene so brilliantly. Yeah. So if nothing else, the hallway scene alone. And the old woman crawling up the ceiling like a spider was pretty creepy, too. That was creepy. That just, was creepy as hell. You know, over, um, over his shoulder. That was just really nasty. Mm, that's one that I need to. That's one that I need to sit back and 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 check out again sometime. It's it's been a it's been a few years since I you, since I kicked back and watched uh, Exorcist three. You know what you need to do before that? Read the book, mm. the, the original novel that it was based off of by Blatty. Because the movie, there are parts that are exact, word for word, camera angle for camera angle, as in the book. Oh, I'll bet. Yeah, and, and it fills in so much of the stuff that was missing when Morgan Creek just, you know, took a scissors to that movie. They didn't yeah. even cut violence; they cut tons of dialogue. And if you've read the book, you can see exactly where like a character's mouth will start to open, yeah. and then they cut to something else. You can see where the sentence from the book was, and it's just it, it makes it more painful to see the cuts that they made to that. Is there more than one cut of the movie? Unfortunately, no. Uh, Blatty said Morgan Creek will not let him do a director's cut, and when he went back, they can't even find all the cut footage anymore. Oh, so man, it's probably that's... lost forever. That sucks, because, I mean, crap. I mean, the... God. if there could be more than one cut of the second one. Is there more than one cut that's available? I thought yeah, Exorcist the, 2 there was is. only the... Yeah, there is. The VHS cut of it is different than the DVD cut. Because I know the theatrical cut, it was pulled out of theaters, like, after two weeks, and what their words severely recut. I believe that the theatrical cut is the DVD. I think uh, I'll have to look and see what the differences are. But in one of them, three. in one of them, Richard Burton dies at the end of it, and another one he doesn't. Uh, and the and the DVD cut he doesn't. And the VHS one, I'm positive the VH the VHS cut of it, the original VHS cut of it, is is different than the than the cut that you get on DVD. And Exorcist Two, uh, I'll say this about Exorcist Two. I mean, it's not boring. I mean, it's it's. I've seen it a few times. It is it is entertaining. It's just not good. No, it's terrible. It's and it's it's just Exorcist Two is one of those movies where I mean you look at it and it's it's honestly a really beautiful mistake. The it movie's is. well made. It's it's well shot. There's the cinematography some... is gorgeous. It's I, I, absolutely I'm a big lighting gorgeous. Whore. I'm a big lighting whore. I think lighting can add so much mood to a scene. Yeah, the lighting in that movie is gorgeous. Like when she's on the rooftop uh, sleepwalking, yes. it's just beautiful uh -huh. looking. And then unfortunately, and that, the characters start talking and ruin everything. Then that uh, that's that shot at the end of the airplane flying through the storm clouds. Yeah, the Ennio Morricone music kicks in. The movie is, like I said, it's a beautiful mistake. <laughs> and that happens sometimes. I'm I'm probably going to be lynched for saying this. I think. Every Michael Bay film has been a gorgeous film on a purely visual level. He has some of the best cinematographers in working in Hollywood, I think. I, I, agree, I, I agree with you as on that. Bad I think as that Bad Boys I, 2 and like The Island, well, The Island's not that bad, but just look at the lighting and the shot composition You know when it doesn't cut every four seconds. 
Yeah, I, I, I think that there's some movies he does where he goes a little too Michael Bay, like the Transformers. Trans, yeah, like the Transformers movies. But I, I do agree with you in that you, the in that uh, when you look at, if if you were to look at some of just really on mute, you know, the yeah, there's certainly some beautiful looking aspects to the shots. I agree, and I think I think that his, I I think that the best example of I think the best example of that of being his most well made visually, and it, honestly, it kind of works out because I really do like this movie, uh, the island, like you just said. Yeah, the, the island is not really as bad as it honestly should have been. It, no, the island is uh, especially the first half of it. To uh, me, the island is in the same category as Jason X. It's a movie yeah. that should not have been entertaining at all, but somehow uh-huh. is. Yeah, and I, I, it's, it's, it's the only movie that he did where he wasn't collaborating with Jerry Bruckheimer. Right. Um, so I wonder, also if, that, the only I wonder film, if that had something to do with it. <laughs> it's also the only film he did that lost money. I know, which so is incredibly unfortunate. So what does that I, say? I said this about Michael Bay. I like The Island and I like The Rock. So as long as he does movies place on a small mass of land surrounded by water, you know, he might have a good thing going. <laughs> Unfortunately, the Transformers movies are so bad. Oh, man. I mean, the Transformers and the movies... first the first Transformers movie was bad, but it was one of those movies like it's bad, but so what? Like but like I'll never think about this movie again. I'll never watch it again. That was a waste of time, whatever. I'll never think about it again. Transformers 2, that was shockingly bad. Well, and, uh, I I've actually heard this might just be rumor, but that the Racist Twins, that's what I'm going to call them, the Racist Twins are getting their own direct-to-DVD spin-off. Oh, I'll bet they are. Because Michael Bay loves those characters so much that he he wants to give the racist twins their own movie. God, what an idiot! Freaking Amos and Ambot. Yeah, exactly. That wow. I, I actually can't believe that made it into a studio film with how blatantly racist those two characters are. I guess uh, at the premiere of that movie, uh, Spielberg had kind of winced, ducked out way through it. And was just like embarrassed as all hell that he had anything to do with that movie, well, <laughs> or that his that his name was attached to it. Russell Mulche did that to the premiere of Highlander Two. He actually ducked out after fifteen minutes. He he couldn't stand Highlander Two at its own premiere. Yeah, and he directed I that. Remember train now, it's all coming together. Oh, well, <laughs> we're, we're, we're we only got two minutes left. We can't ramble on forever as much as I'd enjoy it. Next week, are you going to be here? Do you know if you'll be here? Yeah, I'll be here. Okay. Well, because we don't know with your schedule. You know, you're the one with the job. Well, my schedule. Uh, yeah, I. Uh, um, I got. I got pretty much a normal week next week, just doing snob and maybe a couple other things. So, I'm not doing anything. I, I've been doing hooker with a heart of gold on weekends. So. And you're helping me plug plug with uh, came from beyond midnight, which should be up on your site by the time people hear this. Which will be yes, yes. Which I'll be putting which I'll be putting up to the site here uh, momentarily. Laser mission, Brandon Lee. It's Brandon Lee, not nearly mission. as cool as it sounds. <laughs> oh, you, you know what was really ironic in this? Before we go, okay, I told you how I interviewed James Glickenhouse for Lost in the Static. Yeah, one of the movies we talked extensively about was Shakedown. So oh, nice! I was at a pawn shop over the weekend, and just ironically enough, the Shakedown Laserdisc was a dollar ninety nine. So I bought that. I just thought that was ironic timing. I just interviewed oh, Glickenhouse, beautiful. and then I find one of his Laserdiscs lying around. So I just thought the irony was kind of interesting. And I also bought Ren and Stimpy Best of Volume 1 and 2 on Laserdisc. Oh, fantastic. They're totally uncut, unlike mm-hmm. the DVDs. Yeah, yeah, ho, ho, yeah. 
<laughs> well, one of these th- one of these episodes, we're going to have a whole thing on Laserdisc. I don't know if you even do you have Laserdiscs at all? I have a couple. I have a I have a couple, but uh, I, I don't have a Laserdisc player anymore, unfortunately. Uh, most a bulk of mine were uh, snatched a few years back when most of my other stuff was stolen. But I, I I do have a couple. I've got hundreds. I've got three players. Oh, lucky. I'm a huge Laserdisc fan, so we'll, I loved Laserdisc. We'll, I absolutely we'll probably have a whole Laserdisc. Laserdisc episode. Oh, that would be fantastic. All right, we're we're running out of time, so twelve oh one beyond at gmail dot com, and this has been Radio Drome. Check out the Cinema Snob or. What else do you got coming up? Well, I got uh, the rest of my hooker with a heart of gold, more cinema snob, and the the usual stuff. I'll be starting a new series soon uh, on 80s Dan. Oh, <laughs> that's God. that's what I got going on uh, for the time being. I'm rolling my eyes at the same time I really want to see it, if, yeah. if that says anything. <laughs> I, I, I hear you. I was rolling my eyes while writing. <laughs> All right. Well, we want to say thanks to Todd Sheets, and thanks for listening on Jackalope 105. Good night. Good <laughs> night.